further reading of scripture now, and it comes to us from Matthew 24, verses 36 to 51. Uh, now, Frank was on for reading, but he's cleared out on holidays. So I will read it, unless there's a volunteer that would like to come and do it. Then I'll read it. So, the word of the Lord comes to us this morning from Matthew 24, starting at verse 36. My Bible, it's entitled, No One Knows That Day and Hour. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the, before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whose master will find him doing so, or so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, ah, my master's delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and on an hour that he does not know and he will cut him into pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Sermon I'm privileged to read to you was written way back in 2004 by the minister Reverend John Harveland who was then the minister in New Zealand in Pukakawi I believe. Um, and it's based on um, the reading of 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 to 10. I don't know, Shirley, if you've got that up there. You do. Thank you very much. So 1 Thessalonians 5. You might want to look that up if you have in your Bible and leave it open because the sermon is based on the verses in there. And it's entitled there where Paul's writing to the Thessalonians, the day of the Lord. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there's peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, I would put there. For that day to surprise, for that day, sorry, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. 
For you're all children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then do not, uh, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whatever, whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore encourage... That's at verse 10. Verse 11 says, Therefore encourage one another to build one another up, just as you're doing. So the sermon is titled, Be Ready. This sermon is about being ready as we wait for the unexpected return of Christ and our salvation. New Zealand's most well-known theologian is Dr Lloyd Gearing. Whenever the media want a controversial comment on something about the Bible or Christianity, he's the man they'll approach because he represents the liberal perspective of the church. He's written a book called Christianity Without God. It was first published in New Zealand in 2002. For us, the title is really a contradiction. How can you have Christianity without God? But the title expresses Gearing's aim. He has Christianity without a divine Jesus. He has Christianity without a virgin birth or a resurrection of Jesus. Christianity without a physical return of Christ. This is Christianity without God. Gearing excludes from Christianity anything that's supernatural and certainly any idea of heaven or hell or a world to come. He emphasises the here and now. We need to make the most of this life, he says, and try to establish heaven on earth. But there's no theology in that. That's not theology anymore. The word theology comes from the Greek word theos, which means God. But Gearing has no belief in God. Nor is his Christianity because there's no belief in Christ as the Son of God. This is the viewpoint of secular humanism, where man has replaced God as the centre of the universe. The focus is on man and what we can achieve on our own and by ourselves. True believers, however, believe in God and in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Christians who are true to the name of Christ believe that Jesus, the Son of God, was born as a man, died, rose and ascended into heaven and will come again, visibly, gloriously and publicly. This is what we're looking forward to. This was the hope of the believers in Thessalonica. The Apostle Paul wrote to them to remind them of what he had taught them on this subject. They knew it already, but they needed reminding. So do we. Sometimes we forget what we know and we need to hear it again. But these Christians also needed some further explanation because some of them thought Jesus would come very soon. They're expecting him at any time. 
Why was he taking so long? Where is he? When would he arrive? Paul reminded them that we do not know when he will come. We are not giving a date or time. Jesus told his disciples about this in Matthew 24. No one knows the day. No one knows the hour. Not even the angels or heaven. Nor the Son, but only the Father. Matthew 24, verse 36. His coming will be unexpected. He will come like a thief in the night. And thieves don't make appointments. They don't send you a postcard or an email or a text informing you of their arrival time. They don't give you any warning. This is how Jesus will come. It will be unexpected. So we must be ready. Matthew 24, verse uh, 42 tells us, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Some won't be ready when Jesus returns. Unbelievers will be caught completely by surprise. But believers will be ready. The return of Jesus won't surprise them. So let's consider these two groups and their responses and what will happen. Many unbelievers think of themselves as being smart and clever people. They may well be sharp in business, intelligent in their minds, knowledgeable in their subject area. But when it comes to spiritual matters of God, they're in darkness. This word describes a realm of Satan and all of the people under his dominion. Darkness is a picture of the world of evil, where people are darkened in their understanding and they're alienated from God. They use the cover of darkness to hide their sins. In verse 6, they described as being asleep. Of course, this is what most people do at night. They sleep. But here it's a picture of spiritual sleep. They are spiritually drowsy and dull and apathetic. They are indifferent to God, take little or no interest in the Bible or the church. The main concern is to have everything go smoothly in their lives so they can enjoy peace and safety in verse 3. So this darkness also provides a setting for people to get drunk. Most people don't do this during the day. They do this at night when they go to parties. It's a lifestyle and it's a result of living in darkness. Spiritual ignorance will lead to moral depravity. If people don't know about God, then they don't know about his law and they won't care how they live. We can see examples of this in our society all the time. We live in a society, well, this was written in 2004, and it certainly is today as well. We live in a society that is ignorant of God and the Bible, where people lack spiritual awareness or appreciation of God. And this will produce drunkenness, alcoholism, violence, crime, lying and stealing. Are you part of this world? Are you living in darkness? Are you spiritually blind? Are you living this type of lifestyle? If you are, you won't be prepared for Christ's coming. This is Paul's point in verse 3, that unbelievers will be unprepared. Verse 3 tells us while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labour pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. The return of Jesus will take them by surprise. It will catch them unawares. 
Satan lulls people into a false sense of security and he's very good at that. He gets them completely taken up with what's going on at present, here and now, so they don't think about the future. The prospect of a future of judgment seems remote, far away, even impossible. People scoff at the warnings and they make fun of the open-air preacher or the man with the sandwich board parading around saying the end is nigh. Maybe they aren't the best ways to communicate the message of the Bible today. Yet the Lord will come and unbelievers will be destroyed. There's no escape. In the Old Testament, this judgment was described as a day of the Lord. For those who don't believe, it'll be a day of destruction, of ruin, of loss. And this is describing the punishment of hell. Some Christians today are softening this by saying that they'll be annihilated or destroyed. But Paul uses the word destruction because he's picturing a catastrophe, a disaster. Christ will come as judge and those who have not believed will suffer the eternal punishment. This is a terrifying but sobering subject and it's clearly taught in the Bible. Jesus will come back. You must believe in him and live for him. Otherwise, you'll suffer the consequences. But this day of punishment will be a day of blessing for all believers. Believers are not in the realm of darkness and of Satan, but in the realm of light and of God. They are followers of Jesus, who is the light of the world. They are sons of the light, which means sons and daughters of the light, which means they are not just living the light, but they are the light themselves. Ephesians 5 verse 8, Paul wrote, For you once were darkness, but you are now the light of the world. These people are alert. They're awake. They're keeping watch. The verb is a present continuous. It means that they are always awake and always watching. Again, this is not a literal picture because we need our sleep. But it's speaking spiritually. Believers are people who live in the light of the day and they're spiritually awake. They're not asleep. They know God. They read the Bible and they're regular in prayer and looking for Jesus to come. Think of the men who were building the wall of Jerusalem in Nehemiah's time. They worked and slept with their clothes on and they kept their weapons by their side all the time. They were ready for anything. Someone has updated that picture by saying that soldiers of Christ sleep with their boots on. Again, this is a picture of being spiritually ready. His coming will be unexpected because we don't know when he will come. But it will not and should not catch believers and Christians by surprise. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you watching and waiting? Do you have your mind focused on God? Would you be happy for the Lord to find you right now in your spiritual condition? Are you living in such a way that you will not be ashamed at his coming? That's often given as a rule of thumb for places to go or not to go. If Jesus was to return, would you be happy for him to find you in this place or with these people? In this situation, be alert, 
Be watching. Be ready. Verse 6 tells us to be self-controlled. This word means to be steady, calm, sober and sane. Some of the believers in this city were all excited about Christ coming, so much that they'd given up their jobs. They'd gone to an extreme. They were carried away. They lost their heads. Paul writes, stay focused, be sensible, keep working and stay in control of yourself. The same applies today. Whenever something happens in the world, especially in the Middle East, some Christians are all in a fluster. So this is the end, they say. Here's a fulfilment of biblical prophecy. But then the crisis passes and all returns to normal. Nothing comes of their predictions. Foolish prophecies are wild speculation. Don't get caught up with the fads and the fashions going around. Say stober in line. No, I'm just going to add a piece in here myself. But when we, when we read through the Bible and through Revelation, these things that have been happening in the Middle East and Ukraine and so forth shouldn't surprise us either because we are getting closer. We are living in the end days. But always be prepared. The way to do this is by putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Verse 8. Paul borrowed this picture from the armour of a Roman soldier who wore a breastplate to cover his chest and his shoulders and his back. It was made of metal or thick cloth or leather. It protected his heart. In the same way, the Christian needs to protect his heart with a spiritual armour of faith and love. Keep believing in Jesus and keep serving him in love. At the beginning of this letter, Paul commended them for their work produced by faith and their labour prompted by love. That's um, chapter 1, verse 3. We need to do this as well. We need to keep busy with the work that flows out of faith and the labour that arises out of genuine love for the Lord. Don't be so heavenly minded that you are of no earthly use. And that can be your work in the church, whether you're doing the computer or the screen or making the coffee. It's all a labour of love for God. Put on faith and love. You'll also be prepared for the Lord's coming if you put on the hope of salvation as a helmet in verse 8. The helmet protected the head of the Roman soldier from blows from a sword or from sharp arrows. In the same way, we need to protect our heads with sound knowledge of God's salvation and a firm hold on what we know to be true. As you wait for the coming of Jesus, you may be tempted to get discouraged. He seems a long time coming. Why is he taking so long? Why do we have to struggle with sin? Why all this trial and suffering in our lives? These questions may lead to doubt. You may be tempted into unbelief. In this situation, you must keep the hope of salvation as a helmet. Remember that God has saved you through, your, uh, through faith in Jesus. Remember that Jesus is coming again to give you the inheritance he has kept for you. Don't give way to doubt. Don't get discouraged. discouraged. And never give up. Remember your salvation. This leads Paul onto a further description of the salvation of the believer. I'm just going to read verses 9 and 10 again. 
For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we're awake or asleep, that we might live with him. The word salvation is a broadest term for all that God has done for us, covering the past, the present and the future. Here he is referring mainly to the future, our eternal inheritance, to what God has in store for us in heaven. When Jesus returns, you will receive salvation. God will give it to you as a gift. It's not something you've earned or that you deserve or I deserve because we've worked so hard. It's something God has planned and thought of. It comes from his initiative and he gives you salvation as a gift given to you by his grace. And it's all based on something we celebrated last week. It's all based on the death of Jesus on the cross. He died for us. That occurred approximately 2,000 years ago. It really happened. And he did that for you and I. On our behalf, he took our place for our sake and for our benefit. Verse 10 tells us he did that so whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're always with him. And he is always with you. You belong. Question and answer from the Heidelberg Catechism. I love that. Question and answer one. You belong body and soul in life and in death to your faithful saviour, Jesus Christ. If you believe in him, you'll be with him forever. Whether you die and your body sleeps in the grave or whether we are living and awake when he returns. And we don't know when that could be. Might be before we get home this afternoon. Might be before the end of this service. We can and should, and should encourage each other with these great truths. What we believe about Jesus will encourage us in life and comfort us in death. And if you ever had a moment to speak to Brother Hugo for the time that he was sick, he will tell you that. He would have told you that. It is truth to live for and truth to die by. So let's be sure that we do encourage each other with what we believe about Jesus. Keep building each other up as we are doing so that we might be strong in our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so we might be ready to meet Jesus when he comes. Now is the time to get ready. This is a time to prepare. Don't leave it too late. You don't know when God will bring your earthly life to an end. Put your faith and trust in Jesus now, today. Don't leave it to the last minute. It's too late to prepare for an exam when you walk into the examination room. It's too late to repair the roof of your house after the storm has burst. It's too late to decide to follow Jesus when you hear the sound of the trumpets. Are you ready? Are you alert? Are you watching and waiting for the salvation that Jesus will bring to all who trust in him? Amen. May I lead you in prayer. Lord and most gracious Father in heaven, we do praise you and worship you for your wonderful gifts that you've given us. Lord, and as we reflect just last week on, and we celebrated Easter for the 
death of Jesus and resurrection. And Lord, we now ponder this time between then and when you come back, and we don't know when that is, Lord. And we thank you for this sermon that was written so many years ago um, that then can remind us that we need to be ready all the time to meet you. And that should shape how we live. We would do this not to earn credits with you, but we do this in response to what you've already done for us. Be with us, Lord. Be with us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.